Amen. Good morning, all. Good to see everyone. Good morning. Thanks. Some some of you are awake. That's cool. Um, Good to see everyone. Uh, Nigel and Cheryl aren't bunking this morning. They're just away on holiday um, in the Lake District, enjoying some time up there. Um, Yeah, Chris mentioned the 28th. Do do get along to that. We've made um, three opportunities this summer for us all to get together as a church family. Um, We just love to spend time together in friendship, so uh, do get along to that if you can and sign up so Jade uh, knows an idea of uh, numbers. Um, And it's also, like Chris said, it's a good opportunity to invite friends along. It's just a relaxed social occasion, a chance for people to get to know us and for us to get to know them. So look out for that. Um, We're in Matthew 3 today, if you've got a Bible and want to turn there. Uh, We've just started a new series called Prepare the Way. Um, this, the passage started off uh, last week when Rod was preaching with uh, John the Baptist preparing the way uh, for Jesus and his ministry. And so as we go through the series, we're really thinking about preparing the way for the Lord Jesus to do something in us and through us. And uh, so that's what the series is about. We're looking at chapters 3 and, and 4. And today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, verses uh, 7 to 12. I don't know, has anybody here been to see a, a movie in 3D yet? Have you seen a movie in 3D? Yeah, and when you go to the cinema and you, you see a film in 3D, you get a special pair of glasses, don't you? Do you get to put on? Let's go along to the cinema, put on a pair of glasses. I don't actually have a 3D pair of glasses. These are just my daughter's, four-year-old daughter's sunglasses. But I needed to bring something to illustrate the putting on of glasses, so I've, I've borrowed these. And also, I look really good in them, so uh, just any excuse to put them on, really. Um, but there's a difference, isn't there? When you've seen a, a movie in 3D, people tell me, because I haven't. But there's a difference in the way that you experience the film. And when you experience a film in 3D, the 2D version feels kind of a little bit dull and a little bit muted. There's something about 3D that brings something that was otherwise quite, quite dull and muted to life, makes it lifelike, um, brings it into a kind of more real, vivid kind of way of seeing something. And uh, is this going to click along? Joe, do you mind seeing if it will? Oh, Bruce, thanks. Um, good man, thanks. And, uh, cool. Yeah, so if you, if you ever see a, a 3D movie, it kind of brings it to life in a, in a greater way. Um, there's a good example. This is the first film that we went to see with the kids the other day. We went to see the Super Mario film. There's Super Mario in 2D, and unfortunately what this film did was make Sebs realise that the SNES I was allowing him to play on, which is 30 years old, was a bit dull and muted, and seeing a film with 3D animation uh, kind of made Mario a bit more vivid and lifelike to him and made the SNES seem rather pathetic, which kind of is the reverse of really what I wanted uh, to do. Um, and the passage today is going to kind of bring Jesus um, to life for us a bit. Going to see him in three-dimensional, if you, if you like. The experiencing Jesus in two dimensions can kind of be a dull, slightly muted experience of who he is and his life uh, for us. But when we see him three-dimensionally, like this passage shows us to be, uh, him to be as judge and as saviour and as baptizer, 
it leads to an experience where we see Jesus in a vivid way and brings him to life um, in a new way. And uh, the passage is going to help us to do that. Uh, Just uh, a heads up, it's John the Baptist talking to the Pharisees and uh, the Sadducees. The Pharisees were like those who were the serious folk, the serious Bible folk. They were quite dour um, um, characters in the Gospels. Uh, They were serious about biblical accuracy, those kind of folk. And then you get the Sadducees, they're the kind of uh, guys in leadership in the temple. They're the sophisticated types who are all about relevant ministry uh, to the people. And you've got these two groups that we encounter. So let's have a read. We're in um, Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he saw uh, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, this is John the Baptist, He said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So what we're going to do this morning is have a look at three aspects of Jesus' character that we and see John preparing us for. And as we do, we're going to kind of put on the glasses, as it were, get ready for seeing Jesus uh, three-dimensionally, seeing him as he really is, um, a vivid experience of him. And the first is this. We see Jesus as judge. And the whole uh, passage, or the end of the passage, talks about Jesus, uh, this picture of Jesus with a winnowing fork (coughs) in his hand, separating wheat and chaff. I've got a picture here of the kind of thing it's imagining. The harvest has been gathered in. You've got all the chaff, you've got the grain all mixed together and the threshing floor. And what happens is this uh, farmer, I presume, is picking up with his winnowing fork um, the produce of the land, throwing it up in the air and the wind is blowing through it. The chaff is getting carried away and the grain is heavy enough to withstand the wind and fall to the floor. And so just keep repeating this process And the whole point of the process is to separate. It's to separate chaff from grain. And so to completely separate them, you get a a threshing floor that's clear and purified, if you like, of chaff. And then you gather up the produce, the wheat, if you like, store it in the barn, and the chaff gets burnt um, through fire. And so this picture in this passage is of Jesus um, being one who comes on judgment day, who's coming to judge the living and the dead, who's going to raise everybody from the dead, separate wheat from chaff, clear and purify the threshing floor. And John says, in effect, confess your sins and repent and signal this with baptism because God's wrath is hanging over you like an axe over the root of a tree. God's wrath is hanging over you like an axe over the root of the tree. It's quite unpopular these days to talk about judgment, isn't it? It's, um, it's not particularly popular to talk about God being 
angry, you think, oh, if God was loving, he, he wouldn't necessarily be angry. And a lot of talk today in modern society is about accepting yourself, isn't it? It's about kind of accepting who you are. You do you, that kind of thing. And in Christian speak, speak that can get translated to, God loves you just the way you are. Um, which is true, isn't it? God does love us just the way we are. But he also loves us too much to leave us that way. Um, often you might have asked the question, um, if there is a God and he's loving, then surely he would kind of overlook my imperfections and just accept me as I am. That's a kind of a version, a Christian version of a kind of um, just accept yourself kind of thing. Surely a loving God wouldn't send people to hell. That's often a question people ask, isn't it? I wonder what we think, though, about when we think of some of the most evil people throughout history. Because often we think, oh, if, you know, hell for them, you think there's some sense of justice. That people on, who've done the, the worst atrocities throughout human history wouldn't get away with it. But there's a hell that's coming. That Jesus would separate. And then there would be unquenchable fire, like it says in the passage, for those who've done the worst. For people like Hitler, you think such, a, such an atrocity, such evil. He died kind of without any kind of earthly punishment for what he did. In some ways, there's a comfort in that, isn't there? That the, the injustice of that won't be just left to be, but it's going to be dealt with when Jesus returns. What about Stalin and Pol Pot and Harold Chipman and Jimmy Savile? What about all those who take advantage of the most vulnerable, those who've been most malicious and ignorant and self-absorbed? Um, do they deserve hell? Let's um, play the role for a moment of judge. Let's imagine that we, for a moment, get to be the judge. How do we get rid of evil from the world? Because as you kind of watch the news and you see all the headlines, that's what we long for, isn't it? A world that's purified. That's what people are working for when they're working for social justice, isn't it? Working for a world that's purified, cleansed of all the evil in the world. To get rid of it, to essentially burn it, to use the language of the passage. So how would we do that? Where's the line between good and evil? It's easy, isn't it, to think of the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Pol Pots and Harold Shipmans of this world. They get it. But then, what about other people? What about people who are just slightly less evil than them? What about others who then have not been quite as bad as them but still pretty bad? And what about those then who've been bad but a bit good? And Do you see what I mean? Where's the, where's the line between... Uh, good and evil. How good or bad do you have to be to be separated into wheat or chaff? What do you and don't you destroy? Because it's simplistically, people might just say, well, just destroy all the evil people. Just destroy all the evil people and then leave everyone else. Um, but it, that's not so easy, is it? Uh, one writer, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, says this, if only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. The dividing line between good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Most of us 
uh, think of ourselves as reasonably good, don't we? That's how we tend to have quite a, a good perspective of ourselves. We easily remember our good fruit, the times when we're loving and joyful and peaceful, uh, patient, kind, good, faithful, uh, when we're gentle and self-controlled. But all of us, with a moment of reflection, can probably remember times when we were the opposite of those things, can't we? When we were unloving, when we were um, miserable, hateful, impatient, unkind, cruel, disloyal, harsh, reckless. All of us at some point, if you like to use the language of the passage, bear bad fruit, don't we? At some point in our lives. And that's what Jesus says. Later on in Matthew 7, Jesus is going to say this. A grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thorn bushes, the diseased tree bears bad fruit. All of us at some point in our life bear bad fruit with some kind of self-reflection that's critical. But we are made in the image of God as well, aren't we? We're made in the image of God, so there's something good about us. And that's clearly evident from human history and from our experiences of one another in our best moments, that everyone bears bad fruit, but there's also some good in us. But if we're honestly self-critical for a moment, if we kind of examine ourselves, um, then actually there's probably more that's not great about us than we might readily and easily admit to. And we love the idea of God's burning justice an unquenchable fire for the worst of humanity, for those who've inflicted intolerable evil against the most vulnerable, but not for me. And the coming of Jesus means this burning justice, this judgment against evil and against us. And seeing this dimension of Jesus as the judge helps us to be self-critical and honest in our assessment of ourselves and therefore in our need for help. Jesus, the judge, whose wrath is to come, is God's love towards us. Because if, God's, if there's nothing about us to be angry about, if God hasn't got a reason for his wrath to be against us and for the axe to be laid at the root of the tree, then you don't really need God, do you? If you're good enough already, you're kind of sorted, aren't you? But for those of us who have self-critically and honestly assessed our own heart and thought, no, there is evil in my own heart, then you realise you're in trouble, don't you? And you're in need of help. One writer says this really helpfully. The wrath of God is not the irritability of God. It is the love of God in friction with injustice. The wrath of God is not the irritability of God. It's the love of God in friction with injustice. God's wrath does not contradict God's love. It proves it. A love that pampers injustice is not lovable. So God's wrath is born out of his love for us as humanity to be all that we were made to be in his image Loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. Free from the injustice, pain, and hurt that our sin causes in whatever measure we dish it out. So Jesus, the judge, 
That's the first dimension. That's the first aspect, if you like, of putting the glasses on. Uh, the second is this, Jesus the Saviour. We need to see this first dimension of Jesus as judge in order for the second di- dimension of Jesus as Saviour to be good news. Um, this is what John says. I mean, John sounds <laughs> like the kind of character you wouldn't want to meet, doesn't he? This is what he said. I don't know if you caught it, but it was pretty... You know um, that image of uh, people on the streets preaching hellfire that every Christian cringes at? (laughs) John's a bit like that. Uh, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. What is John doing? Jesus says that John the Baptist is the greatest person other than him to have lived. And this is how he's talking. So what's John doing? John is intent on ripping any sense of assurance of God's salvation from God's wrath based on anything other than honest repentance. He's trying to rip any kind of sense of self-security and self-confidence. What the Pharisees and Sadducees were really saying with the words, we have Abraham as our father was, don't talk to us about the wrath of God. Wrath belongs to those Gentile dogs, which is what they called the Gentiles. Belongs to them, not the descendants of Abraham. We're safe and saved. They had presumed they were saved from God's wrath because they were ethnic Jews. Their sense of security was in their ethnic heritage and being children of Abraham. That might uh, maybe be a problem for you if you're an ethnic Jew, but for the majority of us who possibly aren't, um, there are other reasons that we can presume, aren't there? There are other reasons we can presume um, that we're safe. Other things that we can kind of have a sense of self-confidence in and security in. Or what, what could those be? Um, many, there are many, I'm sure, but here's a few that just came to mind. Perhaps our church attendance just being here on Sundays, feeling part of the family, kind of being somebody that's been around Life Church, New Life, for years and years, kind of can feel a sense of security with the fact that you're known. Everybody knows my name, they, they know who I am, I'm kind of part of the church, and you get a kind of sense of security from being part of things for a long time. You can get a sense of security from your own family, can't you, biologically? Hey, my mum and dad, they're giants of the faith. They, you know, I feel a sense of security in how, how much you know, they've believed in Jesus and their kind of faith, as it were. We can have confidence in our own reputation amongst the church, can't we? The way that people look up to us or and the way people look to us or um, you know, our standing amongst the people of God. You can gain security from your role in church, can't you? That's a particular pitfall if you have some sort of office in a church, if you're an elder or you're a leader of a house group or a leader of a ministry. Um, you can get a kind of self-confidence from the fact that you're playing a particular role. That's what the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing. They were, in, they were the religious leadership at the time. We can get self-confidence and security from our diligence in being a Christian, in our routine. I read this much of the Bible each day, and then I pray this amount. I go to church. We can even have a sense of security in the things that we're able to do for God. 
the gifts that we might have. And later on in Matthew, Jesus is actually going to say later on that he'd, that people have said, Lord, Lord, and done amazing things in his name, including the miraculous. And he's going to say he never knew them. Because so it's possible to be speaking in tongues, to be prophesying, to be, have a wonderful gift of administration in the life of the church, etc. To be doing all these things as, and have a sense of security, but not even really know the Lord. It's a difficult one to get our heads around, and I'm sure later in the book we'll, we'll get into that. Or well, here's the one that I think is most popular in culture, is if there's a God, I'll be okay in the end. I'll be okay in the end. When I look around, I'm a fairly good person. I'm not as bad as some people that I've met, and I'm good enough. And I'll, I'll be okay. I'll probably be saved. If there's a God, he won't be angry with me. And I think one of the reasons that Matthew includes um, this in his gospel is because he was warning overconfident, baptized Christians who were showing no signs of fruit and was telling them, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And the image John is using is, is, uh, is of this wriggling pack of snakes squirming away from the fire that's encroaching. And what he essentially says is to us, shape up. God can make Christians out of rocks if he needs to. Shape up. God can make Christians out of rocks if he needs to. So baptism in water, like John is saying, and in the Holy Spirit are for those who are honestly insecure rather than those who are self-secure. Baptism isn't necessary for those who would presume on the day of judgment when Jesus comes, I'll be okay. For these Pharisees and Sadducees, they would have said, John's telling us to get baptized. Whoa, that's what we do to the, jo- to the dogs, to the Gentiles. Bat- baptism for them would have meant, I'm no better than that Gentile dog over there, and I need forgiveness. It would have taken humility. It would have taken brokenness. It would have taken contrition. Baptism was a sign that they were shaking their old dependency on their Jewish ethnicity and were relying wholly on the mercy of God to forgive them of their sins. And so John is questioning their coming for baptism when they never confess sin or feel wrong, um, or feel they've done any wrong. He is attacking their self-secure religion, dissuading them from outward performance of repentance by going into the water and getting baptised without any genuine inward repentance. And so when we get baptised in water... And when we ongoingly ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us and baptise us, what we're doing is demonstrating an ongoing dependency on the mercy of God. Yeah? We're saying we don't, we're not depending on being good enough come the end. We're not depending on having read enough of our Bible or having prayed on who our parents were or how often we were at church or who knew us and said that we were a great Christian. Our dependency is on Jesus as the saviour because what really saves us from God's wrath is trusting in the mercy of God towards us in Jesus the saviour having faith in and depending on him finding our security in Jesus in his life perfect life lived for us that we haven't lived dying the death that we deserved on the cross in our place for our sin bearing the wrath of God on our behalf 
That's the thing that saves us, isn't it? And that's good news, isn't it? Because that's open to everyone. If you were relying on kind of being good enough, you kind of, you've got no way of telling where the line is, have you? You're kind of just hoping, I might be good enough come the day when Jesus returns and God's wrath is poured out on those who are evil. I think I'll probably, I reckon I'll get in there. There's no security in that really, is there? You've got no idea where the line is. But if the line is just trusting and believing in Jesus, who's lived your perfect life for you, died the death you deserved and borne the wrath of God on himself and risen from the dead, free from it all, and all you've got to do is just believe and trust in him, that's a pretty low line, isn't it, really? You're just depending on the mercy of God. You're not depending on anything in and of yourself. What a relief. That's the kind of faith that Jesus marvels at. Um, you know that passage in Matthew 8 when the Gentile centurion comes to Jesus asking him to heal because he has the authority and power to do so. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west, he's talking about Gentiles, and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What Jesus is saying is, this is the faith I marvel at. The faith that doesn't depend on anything of yourself, but depends on me and what I've done for you in my life, death and resurrection. At the Casablanca Conference in 1943, the Allies agreed to accept nothing other than the unconditional surrender of Germany and Japan to end World War II. Their agreement was based on this, that there could be no meaningful future for rebellious people until they thoroughly renounced their failed ambition to rule. And what Jesus is saying to us is unconditional surrender. It's not Jesus plus I've got these family members, not Jesus plus I'm an ethnic Jew, not Jesus plus I've read my Bible this much, I've prayed this much, I've been to church for this long, not I've been good enough and served you and done these things, I've got these gifts and done this and achieved that, Just Jesus and his life, death and resurrection for us. So Jesus, the saviour, that's the second thing. We're putting on the glasses. We need to see Jesus, the judge. We need to see Jesus, the saviour. And finally, we need to see Jesus, the baptiser. Seeing Jesus, the judge, that there's wrath to come, tells us to live a good life, doesn't it? Be better. Come on, change. Not good enough. Seeing Jesus the Saviour tells us that we're safe for eternity, that we escape hell and the judgment that Jesus is talking about. But we need to see Jesus the baptizer in order to be able to have the power to change. It also tells us that Jesus is good news now. It's great. If Jesus is the Saviour, then we escape hell. That's great. I've got hope for the future and for eternity. But it's no good to me in the present, in the now. For Jesus to be good news now, we need to know him as the baptizer. Seeing Jesus as the judge is like um, a set of scales you weigh yourself with. You can stand on the scales and the scales can tell you, you need to lose weight. (laughs) You weigh this much. They tell you the fact. You weigh that much. You need to lose some weight. But the scales don't help you lose weight, do they? (laughs) I found that. I step on them every day. 
nothing changes. What's that about? No. But seeing Jesus as judge is like that. You step on the scale and you oh, I don't weigh well here. But it doesn't help you to change. But knowing Jesus as the baptizer gives you the power to change. See, John here is warning. He's not liberating. He's preparing. He's not providing. It's he himself, Jesus, the one who is coming, who's going to liberate us from sin, that we feel powerless to kick and provide power to overcome. When we became a Christian, had faith in Jesus, Jesus makes our spirit willing to change, doesn't he? You know, suddenly that thing inside you where you kind of, you want to change, you want to become a different person. And also, Jesus gives the willing spirit to help us change. He makes our spirits willing, and he gives us the willing spirit to help. And this Holy Spirit fire imagery um, t- talks of us being purified, of refining us, of getting rid of our impurities like a fire purifies and refines gold by removing it. Um, oh, this kind of, you get to see this all the way throughout Old Testament uh, scripture. Let me give you a, a few examples. Here's Malachi 3, uh, verses 1 to 3. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, that's John, and he will prepare the way. That sounds like a good title for a preaching series. Uh, before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The Holy Spirit filling us as the church. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can endure the day of Jesus' coming? And who can stand when he appears in judgment? For he is like a refiner's fire. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And then they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit's work in us, that's to refine us, to get rid of the impurities, like fire gets rid of the impurities in gold. How about this in Isaiah 4? It says, in, the day of, uh, in that day, the branch of the Lord, that's the church, shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land, their fruitful lives, shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst, by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning, of change, that burning, that purifying, refining us. Last one, Zechariah 13.9. I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver, test them as gold is tested, and they will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. That's why Jesus promises to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's why John uses that phrase, Holy Spirit and fire, to refine us, to purify us, so that we bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Because repentance is not just being sorrowful about something, is it? And To repent isn't just to feel sad about something you've done wrong. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to action. You know when you've repented, because... Your life changes, becomes different. It looks different. Genuine repentance leads to fruit. And how does that fruit come about in our lives and in our hearts? It comes about as a result of the Holy Spirit working in us, refining us, purifying us, changing us so that we bear fruit in our lives. Where previous we were unloving, he helps us to love. Where previously we would have been miserable, he helps us to be joyful. Where we would have been hateful, he helps us be peaceful. 
Where we're impatient, he leads us to patience. Where we were unkind, he helps us be kind. Where we were cruel, to be good. Where we're disloyal, to be faithful. Where we would have been harsh, to be gentle. Where we would have been reckless, to be self-controlled. So John is warning us, if our lives... This is <laughs> there's, there's passages in the scripture, which as Christians, I think sometimes we can, we can blow over. What John is warning us is that if our lives are not bearing the fruit of repentance, then humble surrender to Jesus may not have happened at all. That's what he's warning us. If our lives are not bearing the fruit of repentance, of humble surrender to Jesus, then we may not have surrendered to him at all. I think it's always important to soberly kind of reflect and think about what's going on in our hearts and lives. Is there fruit that's the result of genuine brokenness, humility and contrition before God that's the work of the Holy Spirit that only he could do in us? Do you in your heart see a steady sense of humble brokenness before Jesus as Lord? It may be that you're at the opposite end that actually feel a little bit helpless to change. Then seeing this third dimension of Jesus as the baptizer, the one who empowers us to change, is vital, isn't it? Because we all at times feel overwhelmed by something about ourselves we can't seem to kick. Knowing Jesus as the baptizer gives us hope that he'll do something in us. And so, you can put on your glasses now. If we see Jesus the judge, we see Jesus... It's difficult to take the sermon seriously now, isn't it? But it was quite a heavy one, so I needed a pink pair of glasses to lighten the mood at points. Um, But seeing Jesus as the judge, the saviour, the baptizer, we see him in 3D. Um, Just as we... uh, We're going to come to breaking of bread in a moment. But before we do that, we're going to break bread um, as part of our uh, response... Uh, to what we've been looking at here. Um, and I think actually we'll go and collect it now because it'll be good to have it in hand. So if, uh, if you're uh, believing in Jesus by faith, he's your saviour, you're welcome to come break bread with us. Um, if you uh, wouldn't call yourself Christian, then uh, feel free to sit this out. It's something we love to do as a family. There's gluten-free on the front two tables. There's also two tables at the back. Um, If you'd like to go and collect some bread and wine, come back and sit down. We'll uh, respond uh, to what we've heard this morning uh, by breaking bread together. All right, so we're seeing Jesus in 3D. He's the judge. God's wrath is coming. He exposes us for who we are. He judges wheat from chaff. We see Jesus as the saviour. He's the one who lived for us, died for us on the cross in our place to forgive our sins and bear God's wrath for us and he's the baptizer he's the promise he's the one who promises his spirit to bear fruit in our lives to help us to change to be like him if we're experiencing a relationship with the lord that's dull or a bit muted then it might be that we're not seeing one of these aspects of Jesus' character in this passage and perhaps neglected it a little bit it's not that we completely don't understand it it's just that perhaps we neglect it in our understanding of who jesus is so what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk through the three and what 
the consequences are of neglecting one of these aspects of Jesus' character. And then at the end of having done that, we're going to break bread. Um, and we're going to eat the bread depend, um, in line with whichever one we feel we've neglected the most. Does that make sense? So we're going to talk through these three. As I'm talking, just think about which one you perhaps neglect most in the way that you think about the Lord. And then at the end, we'll go through each of them and we'll eat bread as a kind of, no, Lord, I need to see you not neglect that aspect of your character. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, So the first is this, that if we neglect Jesus as judge, then we kind of fall into a sense of sentimentalism. Um, That's where you can be thankful for the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. Um, You can be uh, thankful that you're going to heaven and escaping hell. But because you don't see the holy character of God as you should, it doesn't necessarily keep you from sinning. You don't have a holy fear of the Lord Jesus um, as much as you would like to. The second um, is this, legalism. If we neglect knowing Jesus as saviour, then we know all about hell. We're grateful for heaven um, in the future. We know the Holy Spirit's presence and power now but we forget that it's Jesus is the one who saves from time to time. And so we do good works to escape God's wrath. It can lead to a kind of sense of pride in how well we live our Christian life or how good we are. It can mean that sometimes we have a slightly judgmental attitude towards others and a bit holier than thou. And the third is this, formalism. If we neglect Jesus as the baptizer, We've got hope for eternal life, but we haven't got any hope for the present. We're grateful for faith in Jesus that saves us from God's wrath, but struggle without the Spirit's help to change. And the gospel isn't as good news now as it could be. And life can become a little bit drudgery. So kind of thinking about those, which did we neglect uh, the most? And then we'll eat. So if you, let's just... um, Allow God to speak to us for a moment. Lord, uh, Father God, we, we thank you um, for all of these aspects of the Lord Jesus' character. Thank you that he's our judge. Thank you that he's our saviour. Thank you that he's the one who baptises us. I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and open our eyes to any aspect of your character that we've neglected, that might be dulling our experience of you. Um, Help us to see you in 3D and experience a vivid, vibrant relationship with you, we pray in Jesus' name. So perhaps um, Jesus the judge. You don't experience Jesus as judge yourself or you neglect that aspect of his character. If that's you, why don't you eat the bread uh, now? Perhaps it's knowing Jesus as saviour that you neglect. You know, you're, you know about hell, you're grateful for heaven, you know the Holy Spirit's presence, but you tend to focus on your good efforts and works in order um, to escape God's judgment. If that's you, why don't you take the bread now? Or do you neglect Jesus as baptizer? You've got hope for eternal life, you're grateful for faith in Jesus, saves you from God's wrath, but you struggle with the Spirit's help to change you uh, from inside out. Why don't we eat the bread now? If you haven't yet, 
go ahead, me. <laughs> you, you don't have to have chosen one of those. <laughs>